So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, uh, if you type in at Folk on Falcons, you'll see our picture. Twitter, it's the same, at Folk on Falcons. And if you'd like to send us an email, it's folkonfalcons at mail.com. So this week we'll go over our victory against Ospreys in Europe. Look forward to Leicester next week once again in Europe. Have a quick chat about the moving of the final from Marseille to different ground. And we'll review Mike Brown and his um, now confirmed part from Harlequins and join at Kingston Park. So without further ado, Saturday looked like uh, basically Falcons lifestyle in 80 minutes right there, wasn't it? Had a bit of everything. Yeah, I mean, I made the comment saying that was our season summed up in 80 minutes, right down to the very last few seconds where we almost failed to kick the ball out into touch from about three metres away um, and then almost gave away the penalty. But yeah, I mean, the, the first 20 odd minutes when Osprey's sort of sprinter 14-0 lead, you sort of thought, oh, you know, here we go. What a waste of a couple of hours here. Going to sit through a, a slaughter back to, you know, usual sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, in that first few minutes, they was as bad as any time this season, really. We just sort of looked like we're going to get completely blown away. Couldn't get a foothold in the game at all. I mean, their first try was very well worked, fair enough. The second one, yes, they were very fortunate with what was a very lucky bounce, but we gave away a line out in a very good position, which which led to that. So I don't think we can complain too much, particularly. But I suppose we did sort of get back into the game around about sort of half an hour mark, and we did start to apply pressure. Um, it was, again, the same sort of thing where we were camped on their line, but we had to work very hard to get anywhere. TMO ruled out uh, the first attempt from Davidson, you know, from about a metre out. And then a couple of minutes later, obviously, we did score um, after Tipperick got sin-binned. And then, obviously, the game changed because, obviously, we had the man up. We took advantage of it. They went down to 13 when they brought down uh, imminently scoring, driving Maul. And, yeah, obviously, 14 all at half-time. And we had all the momentum. I think it was just a case of could we sort of keep that up and take advantage of the 13 men. And we did. We took the lead. But then, of course, usual Falcon special of conceding points in this case, a very easy try, only a couple of minutes later. And then we had sort of a, a real game on our hands again. But, I mean, credit where it was due. I think that they did see it out. And it was only sort of the last few minutes again where mysteriously Wilson got Simbin, which I'm sure nobody, unless I missed it, but I'm sure nobody made any comment about it um, on the TV. There was no like little yellow card symbol and no mention from the commentators or anything, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's even more credit to them that they managed to hold out with the 14 men at the end. Yeah, it kind of sums up for Falcons that the week that we're not playing in the Premiership, we score four tries. But um, it, what, did you feel that they were chasing the, the four tries or was it just that that's the way the scoring happened to fall? Well, I mean, they just took advantage of the 13 men and 40 men advantage um i mean as i say credit where they did what they needed to do there and um, they turned the screw they, they got the tries they they played to our strength which was i guess our forwards and the pick and drive um it worked well as it did early in the start of the season which again i guess kind of encapsulates the positive aspects of our season in that period of the game um but then the frustration was of course we then gave away a very sort of easy try not long after so they were right in the game where really we quite possibly should have just been out of sight and kind of just sort of saw the game out but uh yeah i, I mean as i say i mean they, they, they took advantage of it and they turned the screw and they 
came away with what was, you know, in all circumstances, a really, really good win. As, as has become fashionable, we gave them a, a head start just to make a game of it. So 14 points down relatively early on again. Do you think that was a bit of the players being intimidated by the internationals back from Wales duty? Or do you think it was just a case of a bit of sloppiness? Or do you think there's something fundamentally in the psyche at the minute that needs stamping out with regards to not being switched on at the start of a game. Yeah, I mean, I read that in Richard's post-match comments. I was saying, you know, they're a bit kind of in awe of all these Welsh internationals against them. But, I, I mean, I, I don't think he's lying or anything. or it's any sort of excuse. But it just seems a bit odd if you're a fresher over there. You're obviously playing top players week in, week out. You're going to play against internationals every other week. It just seems a bit odd that suddenly, because a bunch of Welsh internationals turn up, you're just suddenly quaking in your boots. But, yeah, but it was just sort of like, as, as we've said, it's just it was just kind of like the usual Falcons failings at the beginning, where just unforced errors, giving away penalties, just giving the opposition easy points, easy territory, easy possession. And... You know, Ospreys do have a lot of really good players and they strung some really good moves together that, you know, nice, soft, quick hands. And, you know, they, they got in the corner for that try. And yes, they were fortunate with their second try. But again, that that led from just us losing what should have been a pretty straightforward line out. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's obviously something wrong there. We've discussed in previous weeks about the, the fact we are giving away points too quickly and we do have these slow starts and we give away very easy points very early on in the game and that happened today. I mean, luckily we, we did manage to overcome it due to the fact, probably, because they went down to 13 men, but, you know, it's something which hasn't been addressed and we really do need to address it sooner or later, especially with a, a very tough game away at Leicester next weekend. Yeah, um, we said earlier on in the, the year that we weren't sure quite how strong teams would bother fielding their teams um, obviously this weekend in the vast majority of these um, Challenge Cup games teams have played either 100% or 90-95% strength teams um, Leicester's when they beat Connacht the other day there was a couple of exceptions the mo- most notable being uh, Ford wasn't playing but given Leicester's position in the league at 7th do you think they're really going to target Europe or do you think they might um, maybe let off a bit next week um, so they're a bit more prepared for the premiership the week after i expect them to have a similar sort of team um i don't see why they would have a week uh, go for a weekend team for for a quarter final i, I expect actually both folk and Leicester to play as similar teams as, as they did the last weekend uh, i can't see why not i mean i suppose Leicester do have more to play for in terms of a league position and that might be a factor but um i would expect the the personnel to be roughly roughly similar yeah and um if we look back to our match against leicester a couple of weeks ago it was really the rolling more what did us now lineups weren't really functioning so i wonder whether we'll be focusing on that in training in the next few days yeah well i mean i've watched leicester and connor i'm sure lots of others did um and yeah i mean it's obvious where their strength is and it's very much in the driving more from line outs and if you're going to beat Leicester at the moment you have to find a way to stop that counter it or minimize it at least and you've got to try and find a way to to stop uh, Vista I suppose I mean to be fair I think we did that fairly well um the, the other week but we we've, we've got to find a way to stop the, the driving mall um are we capable of doing that I don't know are we capable to kind of well, I guess at the end of the day it's all about scoring more points in opposition are we capable of scoring more points than Leicester with their driving more I don't know possibly not but we'll have to see I mean obviously the teams know each other pretty well um, after we played a couple of weeks ago and we'll have to see what happens but uh, yeah I mean Leicester a real real threat there and what did it against Connor was generally just their physicality they just battered Connor at this but both in the set piece and the driving more, just kind of in general play, their defence, Connaught were kind of always struggling at the breakdown, and Leicester were always making hard yards, especially Visser and others, 
constantly throughout the match. Uh, it's it's going to be really, really tough, and we're going to have to obviously front up to it. But we'll see what happens. I mean, we didn't expect a win the other day, and that, that's what we got, so we'll have to see. I think that one of the easiest ways of stopping line outs and the attacking section of the pitch is to stop giving away penalties, which did for us the last few weeks. But it was better against Ospreys, and I don't know whether it's because European referees maybe haven't got the same preconceived judgment against us as Dean Richards referred to whether it's just that we have actually stamped it out or whether our discipline is maybe not as bad as that we got harshly penalised for in previous games um, yeah I mean it's hard to tell because you know as we've said there was lots of positives and negatives in that game during the, the, the bad part it was very much we were just giving away penalties all the time and then I mean I do think you know, perhaps sugarcoating it a little bit. The fact that we were did have that two man advantage obviously really, really helped us. Without that two man advantage, I mean, I don't think we would have won. Um, it would have been a very, very well, a very different story. Um, so, yes, yeah, so they, they, obviously the penalty count was much better, but a lot of that was because we were much more comfortable generally because we have the men advantage and the kind of game was sort of swinging into our favour anyway. Uh, when we're in a much when we're sort of handsy, you know, all, all on the pump and against a team like Leicester, are we going to, is our penalty count going to be sort of improved as it was the other day? I don't know. We'll have to see, but it needs to be. And then um, if we just look at the, the rest of the tournament after that, the uh, supposing we get a good result against Leicester, the semi-finals draw, I think it's next Sunday evening. And then they've now changed the finals. So instead of a, a trip to Marseille, it's going to be at the home ground of the club drawn as the home team in the final. So they'll presumably do a, a draw for the finalists and then one of the teams will be playing at home. So I guess it could be that there's a final of a European competition at Kingston Park, which would be interesting. But if it's an empty stadium, it doesn't really matter where it is. I guess there's slight the conditions and things might be slightly beneficial. But um, other than that, who knows? Uh, moving on to some other rugby news this week, um, as we alluded to earlier in the season and had strong confidence about Mike Brown is indeed heading up the A1. There's some, been some quite interesting articles about how he's been quite harshly treated by Harlequins, the way they've, the nature of how they dismissed him. And it uh, seems that they kind of didn't do it in a terribly pleasant way, basically just called him in and said, there's no space for you next year. And that's how you finish someone's however long career he's been with the club almost 20 years I think and then it seems that Agent Dino's been on the phone got him up to the North East obviously they've got history from when Richards was at Harlequins all those years ago Mike Brown obviously hugely respects him and the paperwork all got signed and then it sounds like Harlequins might have realised he's actually still quite good and offered him another year or two but by that point he'd said kind of nah sorry I'm off so um, yeah great news I think and well, great, certainly great news for Falcons. I think everyone's quite pleased with it. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously we talked about it several months ago now and might be still the same. It was going to be, and it now is, a brilliant signing. I mean, he's one of the form players in the league. Yes, the elephant in the room is, is his age, but to him, age only seems to be a number. Um, he seems to be in the form of his life. Um, I mean, I guess you could have a situation where, you know, one year could be just one year too many with these players and, you know, so it just kind of just goes but I don't think so. I think he seems in really good shape. He's in really good form. And I think quite possibly our best signing since Matt Burke, actually. I mean, I don't know if Matt Burke was slightly younger. I don't think he could be much older when he, when he joined us. But, I mean, it's a really, really quality signing. And it, it does change the dynamic for us quite a bit, really. Um, but that Daily Mail article um, was actually really interesting, really quite revealing. And I think showed quite a lot of problems that perhaps Harlequins had under Gustard at the start of this season I also kind of thought it, it, maybe it was kind of s- symptomatic of perhaps of England because Gustav obviously came from the England training setup 
well, the England coaching setup rather, to Harlequins, and maybe in terms of how they deal with the players, kind of came from that, in which they're you know they're more ruthless and uh, and perhaps of the way they kind of cut players out or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it seems, seems really odd considering how you know how much of a icon Brown was uh, at the stoop, and obviously how many years of dedicated service he, he put in for them. Uh, you know, one club man for him to kind of in a few minutes be told, well, actually, no, we're we're not bothering with you anymore. And I, you know, the thing was. Well, I think what summed it up also is that they sort of came back groveling by the sounds of it, saying, oh, actually, might have made a mistake here. You know, can you actually stay? And he said, well, no, that bridge has been burnt. But also by the sounds of it, I don't know if Brown actually contacted Richards or whichever way kind of round it, it was, really. Um, maybe Brown did contact him and said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be Hollywood anymore. You know, it's a room for me. This is my fee. I'm not going to charge much, which is what by the sounds of it was. You know, can, can, I, can I come up? And that's what it seems happening. And it seems to be all the comment was done and dusted in a day so you know it's funny how these things kind of turn out but yeah i mean it's absolutely brilliant signing yeah um it's interesting actually i, I saw that article and also i've seen in the past that um mike brown does his own speed and agility work outside of harlequins one of the things that a lot of players experience when they get older is they lose their pace which kind of does for a lot of outside backs it's really the the point at which their career kind of takes a nosedive if we look at i think one of the people that we've mentioned this season is Snotty Snotty. He lost his, he still had the step, but he lost his raw pace um, towards the end of his time here. And he started dropping out of favour because of that. Whereas Mike Brown, he doesn't seem any less of an athlete than he was five, ten years ago. Um, he's probably lost maybe, maybe not half a yard, but maybe a quarter of a yard or ten centimetres or something. He's by no means a slouch. And um, I think that he's still definitely got the strength, ability, agility, whatever you want to call it, to, to get by at the top level. Yeah, I mean, he's... As I've said, he's sort of in the form of his life, um, scoring lots of tries, assisting with loads of tries. Um, I mean, if you pick a sort of premiership 15, a current one, he, he'd, he'd be fullback. I mean, I, I guess that maybe the most sort of current famous example of a fullback, he's sort of taken a bit of a nosedive, is uh, um, Abadanon. Remember him, the, the Englishman who sort of played in oh, France? Abadanon. Yeah. Um, so he's. So, I mean, obviously he was like European Player of the Year a few years ago. And. I think I remember reading an interview of him only last year saying how, you know, his pace kind of went and that was sort of it. And, he, you know, Claremont kind of let him go because he couldn't kind of maintain that level. He's playing in, I think, the second division in France now. But, you know, but he's a contemporary of Brown. He's similar sort of age. Um, he was sort of, you know, um, named for perhaps to be in the England setup when Brown was there, of course. Um, but it seems to be that Brown at the moment is... is most is the better player both physically and in terms of performances and the level he's playing at so yeah i mean obviously all that extra speed work and training that you said helps quite clearly because there he is one of the top performers in the league and i absolutely can't wait to see him play kingston park especially when we get fans back to actually turn up to see a player of that sort of name and quality sort of playing for us it's going to be brilliant yes let's hope so elsewhere in europe this weekend in the challenge cup bath beats zebra in italy 35 points to 27 um london irish beat cardiff 41 points to 40 and montpellier beat glasgow 26 21 uh benetton beat again 29 16 obviously we beat ospreys 28 24 Northampton beat Dragons 43-39 and Leicester beat Connacht 48-32. Then finally, um, Ulster put 57 points in Harlequins. Um, I think that reflects that Harlequins played um, a weekend team in that game. They obviously just sort of can't be bothered with Europe, but 
Just overall, there's an awful lot of points scored. What do you put that down to? Um, maybe it's a couple of factors. I think perhaps because even though it obviously it's a tournament, a lot of these teams can win. It's a bit of silverware. Maybe there's kind of like a feeling of, of less pressure. Um, even the Falcons were doing it. They were kind of sort of flinging it around at the back more, where I'm sure if it was a league game, they would have sort of kicked it. Um, so I think that kind of comes into it. Uh, yeah, and, and also maybe the fact that a lot of these teams kind of don't have a lot to play for in the leagues, so that they're kind of having a real go so in some ways i know sort of those two statements perhaps opposite in terms of not pressure but also having a go but if you look at the team so you've got obviously us we've got nothing to play for in the league a lot of the pro a lot of the well certainly the the celtic teams who are in our competition have nothing to play for in their league um because all the ones who are actually challenging for titles are and positions are in the champions cup in that league um so they can just sort of have a go but yeah I, I think it's probably a combination of different personnel kind of different outlook trying different things because this is i suppose the tournament people think that you could kind of do that in so i think it's kind of a combination of all that kind of all comes together into these really kind of high scoring entertaining games and it's a shame there's no like proper highlight show or anything like that because all the games are like absolute crackers with some really good tries in them and you know as we've said loads and loads of sat loads of points yeah, it's also quite frustrating that the um the highlight reels that you can get a hold of tend to be two minutes of uh, the match no replays or anything worthwhile and they miss out half the fun stuff but um if we just look at the Heineken Cup quickly, obviously there's lots of games in that this weekend, or the European Champions Cup as it's officially known. Leinster versus Toulon uh, cancelled. Do we know what happened there? So I believe one of the Toulon players earlier in the week had like had a positive COVID case. So they self-isolated him from the rest of the squad and they kind of trained as usual for that next two or three days or whatever. Then they travelled out and then it was deemed that, oh, well, there's, there's too much of a COVID breach, then they're going to forfeit the game. So Toulon were obviously, obviously absolutely furious because, because obviously they thought they did the right thing in terms of how they dealt with it, but also they weren't told that this was going to be a problem until literally, you know, they'd landed a few hours before the game. Um, so it's a yeah, it's a funny one that one. I don't think ECPR are kind of the best um, organisation in the world. I mean, we have history with them for a start. But yeah, that, that seems a really odd one. I can see why Toulon were absolutely furious with that. I mean, I don't know. I literally, well, one hand, I literally do not know what more they could have done. But also in terms of the notice that was given to them was just outrageous. Into in the fact that they they were almost warming up and then they were suddenly told, oh yeah, actually no, you we're gonna have to call this game off. Yeah, just on the on the Toulon front. Um, Saw quite a nice photo during the week of a young Antoine Dupont um, with Johnny Wilkinson uh, posing for a photograph. Dupont must have been sometime in his early to mid-teens, I reckon, but it's just one of these nice little photos that's surfaced. Not sure whether anyone else has seen that. If we move on to some of the other games, um, Gloucester got beaten uh, 27-16 by La Rochelle. Wasps lost 27-25 to Claremont. Toulouse beat Munster 40 points to 30, and Exeter um, put Lee onto the sword, beating them 47-25. And then Racing 92 beat Edinburgh 56 points to 3, an absolute thrashing there. Um, Bordeaux beat Bristol 36-17, which is a bit unusual. Bristol were playing a full-strength team then. They just got thoroughly beaten by Bordeaux. Um, don't know whether they'd studied some of the tapes or something and worked them out. I don't, it's a strange one. It'd be interesting to have a look at the highlights of that and see um, how Bordeaux managed to do that. And then finally, Sale beat Scarlet's 57 points to 14. So um, in a bit of a shorter episode than you used to of recent time. That's all that we've got today. So thanks for listening and hopefully we speak to you again after the semi-finals have been drawn and we're going off to some exotic part of the world or we're not, but the team are. Something like Northampton or something like that. <laughs> Bye, everyone.